Uh, let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, special topic Thursday, an evening that is uh, tailored to your questions. And uh, this evening, I'm going to respond to a question specific to how we approach the Bible. Now, alongside of what I have already said, uh, as I've talked about the literal sense and the spiritual sense, I thought for this evening, we can address this question as you ask it in the light of 10 steps. Now, this evening I am going to draw from Peter Kraft. You know him as probably one of my favorite authors. I quote him quite a bit. In his book, You Can Understand the Bible, a practical and illuminating guide to the Bible, he offers from the outset 10 tips for reading the Bible profitably. So we're going to use Peter Kraft's 10 tips and what I'm going to do is just kind of reflect with his 10 tips and hopefully just not answer your question, but offer to you in conjunction with Peter Kraft things to think about when we go to interpret sacred scripture. So as each and every Thursday is from time to time, more or less an opportunity to kind of take things we've already talked about before and package them into one night. Certainly this is the case again tonight where you are going to hear things I have already talked about, but they are all going to be filtered into these 10 tips so that you can go back to this radio program when you're looking to uh, go and read sacred scripture so as to reflect with maybe the best way uh, to do it, that is to read sacred scripture. So with that, let us jump in because there is a lot that I want to get to in these next 25 minutes. All right, point one, the need to kind of forget commentaries, and books that try to tell you what the Bible means. That is to say, my friends, <laughs> this might seem so simple, the first thing to do is to read the Bible itself. Uh, to, In other words, as Peter Kreft puts it, get it straight from the horse's mouth. Data first. The Bible, my dear friends, is the most interesting book ever written, but some of the most boring books we have ever read are about the Bible. So we have to dive into the book itself. You've heard me say that commentaries are important, but always in the light of what you have already read. Now, something I'll offer up to you is that there is a way to read the Bible first that might help you out. And by that, I mean, there is a sequence of books that really carry the drama and the narrative of salvation history. And, and I think this is important because for so many of us, we open up the Bible and, and we say, maybe it's our New Year's resolution. I'm going to start with the book of Genesis, and this year I'm going to read through the whole Bible. And we get through Genesis, and maybe some of us get through Exodus, but then we get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and we just get bogged down. The book of Numbers is kind of lost in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So with that, I want to give to you 14 books that if you were to read 
sequentially, what you would have is the narrative of how God has worked in salvation history. And once you have that narrative, then you can better understand where uh, the books of law have their place, where the books of prophecy have their place. So with that, the 14 books, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Maccabees. Okay, so you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 books in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Maccabees. The two books of the New Testament that carry that narrative, if you will, are Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. If you were to go into the Gospel of Luke, you'll read the infancy narratives. So in so many ways, you can kind of appreciate that, yeah, the Gospel of Luke is carrying something of sequence. And then, as many of you know, Acts of the Apostles is written by Luke, the same author who penned the Gospel of Luke, right? So yeah, you can then kind of appreciate that if Luke penned the Gospel of Luke, and he is the one who penned Acts of the Apostles, he is doing nothing more than continuing that narrative. And when you read the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, that's what you read, the continuation of a narrative, which for all intents and purposes, that is to the Acts of the Apostles, is the first church history book. So those are the 14 books. Now, This is important because this does carry the narrative of salvation history. And as it does, what does it carry? But the narrative and the drama between good and evil. That narrative that we are all attached to. You know, Father Mike and I have been busy over the last, oh, I don't know, four, five, maybe six months now, talking about the world stage. What we've done is taken some movies out there and showed their Christian value, their, their Christian worth. And in doing so, what we've come to discover is that, yeah, <laughs> through your response, there's something about just not one movie or another movie, but all movies that draw us in because of the way in which we can find ourselves in that narrative, but also the battle therein, that battle between good and evil, that battle between right and wrong right? That battle between vice and virtue. There's something that we're drawn to in that narrative that speaks to good and evil, right and wrong, vice and virtue. And again, I think that programming has been successful because in the end, (laughs) it brings us back to the first drama that is the drama of salvation history. Jesus Christ, when he entered into our temporal reality, showed to us something different. As von Balthasar would put it, when Jesus entered into our reality, he became the lead actor on the stage of salvation history. We've spoken to this within the context of the ego drama and the theodrama. You see, the ego drama is the play I write, the play I direct, and above all else, the play that I star in. The theodrama is the drama that God writes, God directs, and above all else, God stars in. Well, brothers and sisters, the narrative of salvation history 
is the theodrama, and Jesus Christ is the lead actor. And if we are going to understand who we are, then we must first understand who Jesus is as the lead actor, if this is the actor we are to imitate. And what does Jesus say? Imitate me. What does Paul say? Imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. So this is what we do. So if we're going to understand who we are and who we are called to be, we have to first understand Christ, which means we have to first understand sacred scripture within the larger context of salvation history. This, my friends, is quintessential. This is why I spend so much time on this first tip, because understanding sacred scripture for what it is versus what it is not, what someone is telling you, is so, so important. All right, second, we have to read sacred scripture repeatedly. In other words, again, in the words of Peter Kreft, you can never exhaust the riches of this deep mind that is sacred scripture. My dear friends, the greatest saints, the greatest theologians have never exhausted the gold that is sacred scripture. There is such infinite value to sacred scripture. Again, what does the word mystery mean? It comes from the Greek mysterium, which translates the inexhaustible reality. I mean, think of it. We know, well, at least researchers tell us we know, <laughs> approximately 11% of what swims in our oceans. So we have all of the science before us. And at best, right now, in the year 2018, all it can tell us is that, yeah, we know approximately 11% of what swims in our oceans. 11%. <laughs> we haven't even begun to exhaust what swims in our oceans. And yet, and yet, putting that in the context of the larger spiritual mystery, that is more than we might know in our relationship with God. My point simply is this. There is infinite value. There is the always more in sacred scripture. And this we ought to be present to. So read it repeatedly. Uh, something that happens here is, you know, you, you read, say, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And you've read it once, twice, three times, four times. Maybe you've read it a hundred times. But could it not be said that on the 101st read of the parable of the prodigal son, it speaks to you differently? And why does it speak to you differently? Because maybe the last time you read the parable of the prodigal son, you were going through something different. You were in a different place. But now, 3, 5, 10, 20 years later, in your next read of the parable of the prodigal son, you're, you're in a totally different place, and now God has a different message for you. That's part of the infinite value of the parable of the prodigal son. And I dare say every parable, every truth as it comes to us from sacred scripture. And to me, my friends, that is exciting. So again, read sacred scripture repeatedly. Never say, well, I've heard that before. It doesn't apply to me anymore. No, 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 no. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit says to you and I, read it again and again and again and again. And in doing so, understand that I desire to speak to your heart where you are at right now. And the Holy Spirit says that to you because in the end, God meets us exactly where we are at and walks with us exactly as he is. Okay? So, 
so important as we seek to better understand how to approach sacred scripture. All right, third, we can now say, first read through a book quickly uh, to get an overall idea, then go back and reread more slowly and carefully. This is kind of a to be to a number two, because as you read it repeatedly, you have to understand that we are never called to just rush through a reading of a particular text. Here, as Peter Kraft reminds us, we are to forget about time. We are to relish. We are to ponder. And most importantly, we are to meditate, right? Think about what you are reading. Question, not in some contemporary sense where we doubt. No, question in its truest sense where we seek to understand, where we sink slowly into the spiritual sea and swim in it. Brothers and sisters, our reading of the biblical text is really nothing else but a courtship with God. A courtship with God. So let us enter into that courtship. Tip number four, try to read without prejudice. And this might be the most important tip for you and I, depending on where you're at, because this tends to get in our way. Let the author speak to you. Don't impose your ideas on the book. Listen first before you talk back. I say this might be the most difficult tip because at least here in the United States of America, we've been told that our opinion is the gospel, where there can be nothing less true. My dear friends, again, this is a courtship. And so we have to enter into that art of listening, allowing the Holy Spirit to, in fact, meet us exactly where we are at so that he can, in fact, walk with us exactly as he is. So we have to fight that. Well, I think this is what sacred scripture is saying. Point number five, once you have listened, yeah, then talk back. Dialogue with the author as if he were standing right in front of you. Because, brothers and sisters, the thing of it is, he is standing right in front of you. Ask him questions and go to the rest of his book because he has the answers. Jesus is the master teacher. He is Raboni. And all good teachers (laughs) want their students to ask questions. Yeah, and often he responds to the question with a question because he wants us to really critically think about what we're asking. So once we understand what we're asking, he'll have an answer for us. And that answer, if we are true to who we are, always satisfies our deepest longing. All right, point number six here, tip number six from Peter Kreft. And gosh, is this important. Don't confuse understanding with evaluating. So here, he wants us, that is Peter Kreft, to to think about the distinction between understanding and critique. So first you understand, then evaluate. Now maybe for some of us, this sounds simple, but it is harder to do than you probably think. For instance, many readers interpret the Bible's miracle stories as myths because they don't believe in miracles. But that is simply bad interpretation. It's misinterpretation. 
whether or not miracles really happened, the first question is, what was the author trying to say? And this brings us back to the literal sense of sacred scripture, and this is why the literal sense is so foundational. The literal sense being defined as, you know, the historical circumstance and really getting behind what the author is trying to convey. We ask such questions as, was he telling a parable or maybe a fable? Or was he telling a story that he claimed really happened? So my friends, whether you agree with him or not, that's the second question, never the first question. Keep first things first. It's why they're first. The moment the second thing becomes the first thing, it ceases to be what it needs to be because the second thing can only be because there was first a first thing. If you follow that logic, all right? Keep first things first. Don't say, oh, you know, I don't believe Jesus literally rose from the dead. Therefore, I interpret this, the, the resurrection as a myth. That's illogical. In a logical thought, statement, observation that has pervaded our culture. And understand, please, my friends, what I'm saying here and what Peter Kreft is after at, because if we get this point wrong, we won't get sacred scripture right. The gospel writers did not mean to write myth, but fact. If the resurrection didn't happen, it is not a myth. It is a lie. And if it did happen, it is not a myth, but a fact. So point number six, tip number six, is widely important, quintessential uh, to our interpretation of sacred scripture. All right, tip number seven. Keep in mind a series of questions. First, what does the passage say? That is uh, the data. What does the passage say? Second, we can then ask the question, what does it mean? What did the author mean? That is the interpretation, right? Third, we ask the question, uh, is it true? That is the question of belief. So first we ask the question, what does the passage say? That is the data. Second, we ask the question, what does it mean? What does the author mean? That is the interpretation. Third, we ask the question, is it true? Herein lies the question of belief. Lastly, fourth, we ask the question, and, and maybe this is the most important question as we work with the end in mind, what difference does this particular passage make in my life right now? If the first question was about data, the second about interpretation, the third about belief, the fourth is about application, right? We call this the moral sense of sacred scripture. How does this apply to my life? So that's point number seven. Okay, how about uh, point number eight, tip number eight? Here we ought to be thinking about the bigger picture, right? The main point, the central point. As Peter Kraft puts it here, don't lose the forest for the trees. Don't get hung up on a few specific points or passages. So in tip number eight, we are to interpret each passage in its context, including the context of the whole of the Bible. Remembering specific passages can help us. And I have endorsed here on the radio Seeds of Truth I have encouraged you to remember at least one passage every day, a passage that resonates with you, a passage that speaks to you in the here and now. 
But what we have to be careful of is that tendency to isolate a particular passage. Because if we are isolating a particular passage from its context, we are never going to fully appreciate the passage for what it is. That is to say, every verse in sacred scripture is caught up in the, in the larger drama, as I have already spoken to it, of salvation history itself. I see this a lot in apologetic circles, inside and outside the Christian and Catholic faith. I see it all the time, where as Christians and or Catholics, we, <laughs> there are certain passages that are highlighted. And every time the question is answered by going to the context of the passage where there might be a concern, because the context is always where you will find illumination. Illumination. So, yes, remember certain passages, but again, don't get hung up on a few specific points that have us lo losing sight of the larger context. Okay, tip number nine. After you have read a passage, go back and analyze it, outline it, define it, get it clear. Okay, so here, Peter Kreft wants us thinking about the reality that we can't be satisfied with this kind of nice, vague feeling. If reading sacred scripture is about the warm fuzzies, it won't work, okay? It just won't work. Yeah, there are times when we hear a certain passage and it just like a fiery dart of love speaks to your heart and it moves you to live a more vibrant, arduous, and enthusiastic life for God. But in many cases, in many cases, a particular passage, if it is speaking to you, it's speaking to you because it's challenging you. And don't think for a second that that's not God, okay? Because you don't have the warm fuzzies. Often is the case that sacred scripture is speaking to you because God is chastening you. Remember what we talked about just a few days ago. I think it was Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Because he loves you, he will chasten you. God is father. And what father? What father does not challenge his children? So don't confuse interpreting sacred scripture with uh, the warm fuzzies. And last but not least, uh, tip number 10, be honest, right? In reading any book, but especially this book, because of its total claims on truth, yes, but on you, because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And I love the point that Peter Kreft makes here. There is only one honest reason for believing the Bible, because it's true, not because it's helpful or beautiful or comforting or challenging or useful or even good. All of those things, as we've already spoken to them, are, yes, good, but if they're not true, then no honest person would or should, right, believe it. Seek the truth, and you will find it. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says that because all that is capital I, is caught up in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
all of revelation itself, both natural and divine, and we should say what is natural is divine, <laughs> points to the fullness that is truth itself, which is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is incredibly exciting because here we don't speak of truth in the abstract, but within the context of personhood. Jesus entered into our reality. God became man because he desires to encounter us as men of God and as women of God. And we will never fully realize our potential, our potency, the power of who we can become. That's what the word potency means until we realize who Jesus is and what he has come to reveal to us. That is who we are. Brothers and sisters, God understands us better than we understand ourselves. We just have to open our hearts to him. Because as Revelation chapter 3 reminds us, as he is knocking on the door of our heart, if we don't open our hearts, our hearts to him, we will never come to understand who we are, right? Technology and science, they are goods, yes. But they can never fully reveal to us who we are as humans because we're just not bodies, we're body and soul. We are composite body and soul. And it is Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine, who reveals to us, again, the potential of who we can become in the light of revelation. Amen? Amen. We will wrap up with a word of prayer. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or as always, you can go to joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.